Welcome everybody to another episode of Different Shades of Queer. In today's episode, I have a new guest. Their name is Erin. Hi, Erin. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here and talk about so many topics and things. How have you been? I've been okay. Super busy. I recently graduated from STU and I started a collective called QT Fatties in NB and I'm a jewelry maker so I'm just busy. That sounds like super busy but also really interesting. I love that you have so many projects going on. Yeah, they're very fun. Okay, so in every episode, I start with a little shout out of some queer media or queer businesses or queer book that we're enjoying, um, just to kind of like give a shout out for people out there to check these things out. So you can go ahead. Okay, awesome. A uh, book that I'm reading right now is called Love After the End. An anthology of two spirit and indigenous queer speculative fiction by Joshua Whitehead, who is a two spirit indigenous person from Treaty One territory. And this book is essentially about imagining indigenous futures and imagining indigenous communities thriving in utopian worlds that are accepting of queerness and transness and two-spirit people outside of colonialism and capitalism and it's so beautiful so far it really sounds amazing um i would love to check it out after this episode so i'm excited for it um i also have a book to chat out right now um it's um kind of like creative non-fiction book it's called in the dream house by carmen Maria Machado. I don't know if you have heard of it, um, but it's a memoir about um, this one relationship the author had. Um, it was a queer relationship and it was sadly an abusive relationship, but it brings out a light of how abuse exists also in queer, non-heteronormative relationships and mm. It was just um, really amazing to see how different aspects of her life intersect in this book. Um, so I highly, highly recommend it as well. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Look at us. Um, books. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in today's episode, we will be talking about visibility, um, queer visibility specifically. And we are going to discuss some um, aspects related to that. So first, um, I'm going to ask both of us, like, do we feel that we are visible queer people? Um, do you consider yourself vis visible to the community? Or what does visibility means to you? Um, so I definitely consider myself visible. I feel like I've been visible as a queer and trans person for as long as I can remember. Um, I come from Riverview, which is a small conservative town in the Moncton area. And I was one of like three openly queer and trans people in my high school. Although I think that my visibility has shifted since then. Um, specifically because I'm visible here in Fredericton 
but not for that reason. Like Fredericton has a pretty large queer community, but I think now my visibility relies on my gender nonconformity. So me being visibly trans or being visibly trans means to me that I really fuck with gender. Like I have facial hair and body hair, but I wear femme clothing. So I have like traditionally masked and feminine expression, I guess. Um, and I'm also fat, so this adds another layer to my visibility. Yeah, I, I, it's it's very interesting what you say about being visible differently on different towns or places. Mm. Um, also, how your visibility is not only like queerness, but also transness, and that's very interesting. Um, I, I, I'm thinking about myself. Do I consider myself a visible queer person? Um, and I guess it really depends on what aspects mm. and where as well. Um, so you said um, a lot of gender non-conforming aspects and like your presentation to the outside world. So do you have another forms of visibility for you? Yeah, I think that um, social media is a huge platform for visibility. And I think it's really changed what visibility means. And not always in a great way. Like, I think that social media can be really dangerous for marginalized people. So I think that there's, like, a difference between being, like, visible in, like, a public space physically and being visible on social media. Yeah, so I think that on social media, I mean, and, you know, in public spaces, you really have to protect yourself And I think it's complicated because especially on social media, like by being visible, you can create like community and connections with other folks who are like you. Um, and that's really great, but it also comes with a lot of harassment and, and danger. So I think a lot about, um, one of my favorite people in the whole world, Alok Vadmenin, who is performance artist and academic and is a gender nonconforming person and says that being gender nonconforming is choosing comfort over safety. I think a lot of queer and trans folks wish for a world where we can have comfort and safety. Both, exactly. That's very important uh, and that makes me think a lot of like sometimes you cannot choose when you make yourself visible mm. does that make sense and and the implications that comes with like safety um and how in some places uh your queerness your transness is sadly a hindrance to your safety because of mm -hmm. the people around you and how i wish that was not true but it is mm. um and i completely agree with you like in now in this day and age social media is like one of the big platforms where you can become very visible and um community and like queer activism and trans activism and um finding people all over the world right and mm -hmm. to able to do that sometimes you have 
to put yourself out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, being open about that, anyone can bump into it, and right. not everyone out there has the best intentions in life. <laughs> right. Uh, I think. I think the like scary thing about social media, especially, I don't personally have TikTok, but I I hear lots about it, of course, and the the scary thing of like queerphobic or transphobic people like taking queer and trans people's photos or their content or whatever it may be and just like blowing it up in like such a dangerous way dangerous space with folks who are queerphobic and transphobic I think is really scary and and quite frankly, can ruin lives and endanger people's lives. And I think that that's the most, like, scary thing about social media for me and and the community in general. Also, so many people have been outed because of it as well. Um, right. Of anyone bumping into it, but also people taking that information in an evil purpose. Mm. Um, for me, it's a little bit of the opposite, I guess. Um, and perhaps it has to do with that I'm not trans, but gender presentation, it has almost kind of like become something for me of like being able to put myself out there as a queer person, like visible queer person. And right. a lot of the time I feel like I fail at doing that. And it's just the notions that what, how does a queer person look like? Mm. Um, yeah, what what makes you visible? Like in my case, I guess we're obviously different people. Um, femininity seems to be the opposite <laughs> effect for me. And like, mm. I almost feel like when I embrace my feminine side, I pass or like people think of me more as a heterosexual person. Mm. And it has been kind of a journey of realizing that how I present at the end of the day, it's just my decision. Right. And then the other side that I wanted to talk about a little is work and studying environments and being mm. visible in those environments. I am not super open with my family who's not here about um, my queerness, um, but because of the job that I'm having right now and um, some classes that I have taken and stuff like that, um, bringing those in conversations with my family and making myself visible to them through those um, spaces has mm. been also has also been a conversation. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's a really great, um, like another way for us to think about this. Um, so I just graduated from Stu, and as at least people in Fredericton know Stu is like the queer hub. <laughs> um, and so I, I was able to meet a lot of queer and trans folks um, through studying at Stu, which was really nice. And the gender neutral bathrooms at Stu are great. Um, but I mean, it's still not perfect. And same with um, I was working at Starbucks for a period of time and Starbucks like presents itself as a really, you know, welcoming and accepting company, a safe space, safe workspace for queer and trans folks. And 
I think it is, but much like Stu, like it comes down to individual people and their attitudes and their beliefs and how they express those. Um, so that's been like kind of complicated and complex for me because I went to both of these places, Stu and Starbucks, knowing that they very much pride themselves funny enough on pride, like Mm -hmm. queer and trans inclusion and like, they're not perfect and still have a lot of work to do. Um, and I mean, that's coming from a place of like, I'm very visibly queer and trans even in those spaces. And it's still, even if I try to advocate for, my rights um it's still not perfect and complicated and it's not there yet uh-huh yeah a hundred percent and i was gonna talk about that too like how a lot of people hide um their queerness or transness sometimes in work environment because of the fear of repercussion or like mm-hmm. the people that they work with and not feeling safe um in those workspaces. So I think that's a great point of um, corporations or just um, institutions in general um, who talk a lot about uh, pride and acceptance, but Mm -hmm. yet they struggle with having um, employees or people who are visibly queer and visibly trans. um, And the amount of work they still need to do is very... I mean... We're in Pride Month. It's all about rainbow capitalism. Like, it's it's interesting that places like Starbucks and Stu, like, very much present in this corporate way of, of acceptance. And then, like, actually on the ground, it's not as it seems, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, just reminds me of how you know, other corporations and businesses during Pride Month, you know, put out a Pride flag or release Pride merch, and then for the rest of the year, they don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and that really sucks. And it, it really hits home for me. I mean, during Pride Month, of course, but having, you know, worked and studied at, at places who are very present themselves as being very open and accepting that like the only place where I will be like a hundred percent like safe and comfortable is like in community in the homes of my queer and trans friends and that I have to like hold on to that very dearly mm-hmm. 100%. so yeah I guess with all of this we have been talking a lot about the advantages and negative sides that comes with visibility. So, do you have any thoughts or experiences on how to navigate this kind of really small, how do you say that, like getaway kind of between security and visibility, like Mm. um, how to navigate those, how to, or even if we don't know how to navigate, just like discuss with people out there because Many people that may listen to us may have that um, question themselves as well and insecurity. Yeah. I think it's definitely tough. It's something I'm still working through. But like I said, like I I mentioned, um, finding those spaces with 
community is helpful, but also self-care. Like, I can't stress that enough. And I don't mean like the, like corporate kind of self-care that we're sold. I mean, like if I, you know, go outside tomorrow and I get harassed, like I need support from my chosen family or I need to stay home for a couple of days and be comfortable here. Um, and I think that there's also uh, a complicated layer of like being visible and being like inspirational or brave. I think that like being told you're brave or inspirational can definitely be a microaggression when it comes from cis heterosexual people Mm -hmm. but there's also power in being visible for queer and trans youth or folks who aren't out to show them that it's possible and that we can we do exist and we can be visible and figuring out with these people how to live in a world that makes it hard to be visible yeah uh, it really touched me, <laughs> kind of when you say that as queer and trans people, we kind of have to create a comfort space, a place where you can feel safe in and like get the support that you need. Those those words really kind of like um, spoke to me, um, and and I hope that people out there can find those things right mm-hmm. um and and a lot of <laughs> the people <laughs> the people listening it's not the same for everyone i feel like mm-hmm. people need to know that for many of us maybe family is not an option like kind of blood relations right um that's that's not an option maybe for people who don't have a visible queer community in the place they live it may mm-hmm. be online in maybe finding those spaces online or or just an intimate space with just yourself um right it's it's very impo- important to talk about that um i think that um what you just said like being comfortable with yourself is is a reminder to me that you know even if you're only visible when you're in a space alone or you're only visible you only feel comfortable alone like that still counts and that's enough and that's valid yeah and if that's how if that's the only way you can do it like that's okay you know um like even for me I I am visible in public but it is more comfortable at home and sometimes that makes me sad but I have to remember that like that's okay and that's enough and I'm lucky to have a space where I can be comfortably visible even if it's alone right a hundred percent um I had this statement that I was gonna make us um discuss and now kind of going through it in my head Um, I realized how flawed it could be. So the statement is, um, visibility should be a choice. Mm. Um, And just 
kind of with our discussion and stuff like that, um, really kind of confronting the fact that for some people, disability is not a choice. It just is. Right. I have a couple of thoughts on that, on yeah. that statement. Please. <laughs> I think that a lot, I mean, this, this connects to what I, what I just said, but mm-hmm. I think that a lot of us feel like we have to be visible to be valid. And like, I don't know if visibility could ever be a choice. Like I, like, I don't think it's a choice because if the option is I'm not going to be visible because visibility means violence, like, I don't think that's an option, you know? It's not an actual, like, individual choice. Mm-hmm. It's it's avoiding, like, a consequence of that. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Like, majority of the people I know um, who are not exactly visible... Um, it usually comes from fear of something. Right. Um, and that's why it's really important for people as well to realize that kind of uh, outing someone, mm. like the dangers of it. Right. You know, it's taking away that, well, again, it's not a choice. So <laughs> it's kind of just playing with the safety of the person, and that's not nice. Right. So. You were telling me about some um, of uh, your projects that you have been working on, and uh, do you feel like your your visibility is in those projects? Am I correct? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, even with my work, I don't think I mentioned this. Like my actual like paid jobs <laughs> uh, is doing research uh, as a research assistant. And even, even in those jobs, I, I am visible. Um, but with, uh, with my artwork, so I make jewelry and I mean, the name of my business is steel transplants. So even just that has trans in it. And I mean, that's the point. Um, but I just feel like I can't, I can't not bring my transness. I can't not bring my queerness to whatever I do. So if I'm, if it's going to be involved, I guess, then like I want it to be a powerful thing. So like a lot of my jewelry says queer or trans. Um, and I just, that's important to me. I, I want people, you know, if they're comfortable being visible or just if they are visible, um, to be able to have some sort of like power in that. Um, but also with the collective that I started QT fatties in New Brunswick, I think being fat also is really complicated when it comes to visibility because it's not like queerness and transness where you can hide it. Like as a fat person, like you physically take up more space. And so I think having a group that talks about the intersection of queerness, transness and fatness, um, really complicates the discussion around visibility. Um, in a way that I think is really important. Yeah, that sounds... But no, that that sounds like the intersectionality of different parts of one person just, like, colliding and how it affects... It all affects each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, an amazing initiative and group that you created. Um, do you have any more thoughts 
or any we're not an advice col- column for sure but um, <laughs> maybe sometimes just like your some sentiment that you want to share with the people or something so one thing that's important to me that is related to visibility is I mean I'm an artist but I love supporting other artists I love buying artwork um, and I think that it's really important to have representation not only on social media not only like you know in the folks that you surround yourself with but like representation of bodies and people that look like you in artwork in your home um like I have lots of art on my walls that represents queerness and transness and fatness and I think that that just brings me some comfort and as a reminder that that I am represented through artwork and in ways that is really beautiful yeah um and I guess including that part in your day-to-day life like that representation that you can actually see may um be helpful to the space that you create for yourself and like yeah kind of like is validity a word am I making yeah. it up okay no <laughs> <laughs> So, kind of like validating yourself a little. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. For me, I guess, just remind myself and maybe some people can relate to that, that you really don't own anybody's visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are visible, um, just it's nobody's fucking business, I guess. Um, and that I hope people can create um, a safe space uh, mm. for themselves and and really nobody can and and really is just up to you basically yeah I think it I think that just like is such a struggle imposter syndrome is such a thing in the queer community and I think really recognizing and realizing like even for yourself that there's just so many ways to be queer and trans and fat and whatever other identities you hold and that however you express that is okay. Yes, imposter syndrome is really a thing. By who makes the rules, right? Like Exactly. They're supposedly, there are no rules. <laughs> um, but sometimes self-sabotage or what a heteronormative society mm-hmm. has told us to. But this has been an amazing discussion and I'm so glad that you were able to make some time to be a guest. Yes, um, thanks again. I'm just really glad we had this conversation. Everyone should check out Erin's um, groups. Uh, is it QT Fatis? Yeah. Envy? Yeah. Yes. And still transplants as well? Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for everyone listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Please let us know your thoughts. If you agree with us, what have been your experiences with visibility? Uh, I would love to hear about it. Another episode will come your way next week. And yeah. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.